I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. This week, we are talking college recruiting and college tennis showcase. And I'm so excited to have former Baylor head men's coach, Matt Canole, with us. Matt resigned from Baylor as the head of men's tennis about a year ago and decided to go on a a related but different path. He started a business called American College Placement, where he is working with a variety of partners to work with high school kids who want to play collegiate sports, not just tennis, though certainly Matt's expertise is in the tennis arena. And he is really having a lot of success with that. And as part of his work with American College Placement, Matt decided to put on a college tennis showcase this summer. And it's going to be held in June in Dallas at the SMU campus. And I am going to be there. So I'm really excited. And Matt has asked me to participate and hopefully do a panel discussion with the parents that are there and some of the players. So I think it's going to be super, super fun. The link to American College Placement and the showcase itself will be in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So if you haven't already, make sure you take a look at that and click through. The price is very reasonable. And I know there are several other college showcases going on this summer, and you have different ones to choose from. But for those of you especially who are in the Dallas area or near enough that you know maybe you can drive down, uh, I want to encourage you to take a, a good hard look at, at this one that Matt Canola is putting on. I think it's going to be really good. And one of the things I'm, I'm excited about is the fact that Matt is not just focusing on Division I coaches, but we'll also have Division Two and Three coaches there, as well as possibly some NAIA and JUCO coaches too. So it really is a great opportunity for your junior player to get exposure and have the chance to talk to coaches at a variety of levels. So ah, that's my pitch for Matt Canole and his college tennis showcase this summer. As always, if you find the podcast useful, I hope you will share it with your junior tennis community. We want everybody to have all the information they can get their hands on so that their junior tennis experience and college recruiting experience is as good as it can possibly be. So we thank those of you who are tweeting, posting on Facebook, sending to your email lists, our various articles and podcasts. Thank you so much. All right. Now I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this enthusiastic conversation with Coach Matt Canole. Matt Canole, thank you for joining us all the way from the big state of Texas. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you have quite the background in tennis, and I would love for you to share a little bit of that with the Parenting Aces audience. Sure. Well, I think that the, the thing that's a little unique about me is that I didn't start playing until I was a sophomore in high school. I played other sports in a small town in Kansas and uh, kind of got into tennis when I was, again, a sophomore. So I was a dead beginner without any instruction, uh, but had incredible passion for the game and, and really just kind of poured my life into it. Um, 
you know, I think one of the things that really helped me as a college coach, honestly, was that I did play team sports. You know, I played varsity football and basketball and, and in baseball. And, and so I've, you know, I've been the, uh, you know, the, the sophomore on the end of the bench where the game's got 10 seconds left and you haven't played and you don't really want to go in and the coach puts you in, you're kind of embarrassed. And I've also been the guy that, you know, threw a no hitter or whatever and, and was pretty good. So I've kind of had, I think that helped me a lot in the team setting in college tennis, whereas I think a lot of you know, college tennis coaches have only played tennis and individual sport and maybe don't uh, have as much of a feel for the team dynamic. Uh, anyway, I went to college and, and loved it. And then I was going to go to law school and uh, a guy named Scott Tilkey, who's now the coach at Kenyon, talked me into being his assistant coach uh, at South Alabama for a year. And I fell in love with coaching and then started on the path to, to be a coach and, you know, moved around from um, South Alabama to Northern Iowa to uh, Kansas and then came to Baylor and then was at Baylor for, for 22 years. Amazing. Did you play college tennis yourself? I did. I went to Kansas State, um, and uh, you know we were one of the worst Division One teams in the country. And uh, I got to play sixth. I was not any good, and I I had a really super experience getting to play there. And uh, as fate would have it, Kansas State ended up dropping their discontinuing their tennis team. Um, so I've been through that, which I know a lot of people uh, are paying attention to to that issue in men's tennis in college. And I ended up transferring to Washburn, which is a Division Two school down the road in Topeka and finished my career there. Awesome. Awesome. And so you had this amazing career at Baylor. Uh, you all won all sorts of championships and you took a, a team with a losing record to a team that was just, you know, a major standout. Can you share a little bit of your experience coaching there and what that taught you and, you know, how you're using that now. And we'll, we'll kind of transition into what you're doing today. Well, you know, I think a lot of the things that really we, we use there to help us be successful were things that are applicable in every facet of life, you know, um, you know, hard work, um, accountability, uh, following up, um, you know, discipline, you know, all the things that you would read in any book. And I think that we, we were able to sort of apply those things uh, in a really dynamic way um, we had incredible support from our, our university and our athletic director, and, and we were able to, uh, you know, really, again, go after it in every facet. Um, and, and uh, you know, we recruited good players, and they believed in what we were doing, and they, they did a great job in school, and then it made it easier to recruit more good players. And, um, you know, as the profile of our program grew, then, you know, it, it uh, sort of perpetuates itself after a while. And, um, we were able to build a facility and, and host the NCAs and, and, you know, we had all these goals that we, we set out to when I started that we actually achieved, you know, everything on my laundry list. The one thing we didn't achieve is I wanted to endow the whole program. Um, as I understand it, Stanford is the only program that has all the scholarships, the operating budget, the coaches' salaries, everything endowed. And I thought that was something I really wanted to do before I left Baylor. Um, unfortunately, we had some, some things happen at Baylor that were outside of our control that kind of, we lost our, our, uh, our fundraising momentum, but, uh, we we're about halfway there. Um, so we, yeah, we, we felt like we did a, did a lot of good things there. It was, uh, it was a heck of a run. One of the things that makes Baylor stand out and this, this started while you were there is the involvement of your alumni and specifically Mark Hurd. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is for college tennis programs to engage alums? Well, I think one of the things that tennis coaches sort of don't appreciate is how that's legitimately part of their job. 
you know, getting people into the stands, for example, is a very important part of your job as a college tennis coach, in my, in my mind. Uh, engaging the alumni base is a very important part of your job. Raising money is a very important part of your job. And I think, you know, a lot of tennis coaches, you know, are just tennis coaches. You know, and it sounds simplistic, but, you know, there's just more to the job than that. You know, if you want to, you know, if you're coaching at a club or coaching one player on the tour, then you're able to really focus on that. But I think the guys that have been the, the most successful at the collegiate level have been more, you know, CEOs, if you will, and they're managing a lot of different things. And I think bringing those kind of people in uh, really does make a difference. And, you know, I know that when I see programs get dropped um, and I speak to the coaches that are there, they don't have, you know, the right kind of people advocating for the program, uh, either people that have donated money or people that have uh, come and supported it, you know, in the community. You know, it's it's, it's really hard to, to discontinue a program when you've got a, you know, a $20 million facility and a thousand people coming to every match. Um, and I think that's something that, I think, you know, college tennis coaches can continue to to evolve and, and do a better and better job with. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's, you know, one of the messages that I hear quite often is exactly that. And if you want your college program to be successful and be around <laughs> for the next generation of players or even continue to be around for this generation, you've got to do that kind of work in the community. And I know you, you know, had a lot of success uh, in the Waco area with that. And there are a handful of coaches that are also very successful with that, but the majority of them just don't seem to either know what to do or have the time and support to do what they need to do. And it's, it's really too bad. I, I, you know, when I hear of a, a program getting cut, it's just, it's a bad day for me. <laughs> I just, well, I hate that. It's a horrible day. And, and you know, I, I was in the big 12 conference and you know, we only had six men's teams, or they have six men's teams. I mean, that's uh, you know, it's sort of shameful, really. Um, you know, and, and some of the some of the schools, we use Kansas, where I you know where I, I was for a while. You know, they've got a beautiful facility. They've got a women's program that's thriving. Um, you know, it wouldn't be frankly that hard, uh, you know, to get a program. Um, but you know, it's it's tough for athletic directors to do that. But I think uh, I think again, it, it's just it's a matter of effort, frankly. Um, you know, I think if if you as a coach wait around for someone else to do it for you. Uh, it's not going to happen uh, because, again, you know, let's be honest, uh, young administrators, young marketing people, they're going to get promoted based on what happens in the revenue sports. You know, no one's going to get a, a promotion because they got, you know, another 500 people to come to every tennis match. You know, so it's ticket sales and some of those things. So, you know, the tennis coaches kind of got to drive it, um, you know, and, and, you know, that's uh, that's a challenge that, uh, again, some guys are doing a great job with and some guys not quite so good. Right, right. You mentioned that you were a multi-sport athlete growing up. And I'm wondering, when you were at Baylor and you were dealing with recruiting, how important was it to you as a coach to seek out players who had that multi-sport background? Well, super important. And, and, and not only the background, but also the mentality. And, and we started our program with, you know, with Johan Yusta, who was South African and played you know, played rugby and other sports like that. David Hodge, who was uh, Australian and had played, um, you know, cricket and, and other team sports. Johannes Michalski, who was German, who played clubs, you know, club tennis uh, all through his childhood. So these guys had some feel for tennis. And there are a lot of kids, you know, uh, that just, you know, go to the club and play tennis and haven't been on any kind of a team or had any kind of experience like that. And I think it's it's hard to teach a kid that, uh, or a person that when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. I think some people just have an affinity for it and experience with it. And that was a huge key for us. We really wanted guys, you know, again, the best player we ever had in college, Benedict Dorsch, uh, 
was arguably the best team guy we ever had. You know, he was the guy that was getting guys together for barbecues and, and doing all the little things to help guys out when they're in a slump. And, um, you know, really, again, looking outside of himself. Uh, and that's, you know, something that I think trickles down to everybody. Right. One of the things that, you know, I've noticed looking at the Baylor rosters over the years is that it is pretty heavily skewed toward international players. What's up with that? I mean, there, I know there are some amazing players in Texas um, that would kill to go to Baylor. How difficult as a coach was it to recruit those Americans and get them to come to your team? Well, I think first, I think I, I, it hurts me to say this, but there aren't a ton of really good Texas players. Um, you know, for example, I mean, you look at the University of Texas, which is the you know the flagship school in our state, and obviously sort of has their pick of in-state kids. You know, much like an Ohio State would or somebody like that. And you know, last year they didn't have a single American playing singles in their lineup. You know, and, and the reason is not because I'm sure that they didn't want Americans. They're just Texas is not that strong in tennis right now. Um, I think you look at the senior class, and I think the, the highest ranked boy in the senior class is ranked something like 50, um, you know, in the tennis recruiting.net rating. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you start recruiting at 50 and go down from there, you know, you're just not going to beat anybody. Um, and so, uh, you know, first thing first, there's not a lot of great tennis in Texas in these last few generations. Um, and then I think second, uh, again, Baylor's, Baylor's a tough sell. Um, you know, I love Baylor. But Baylor's not a tier one school, um, which tennis players' families think is really important. I mean, I can't tell you, Lisa, how many times you know, they have a conversation like this. Well, you know, Mr. So-and-so, what do you think about you know, your son's choice of schools? Well, I don't care where he goes to school. Oh, great. As long as it's in tier one. <laughs> you know, well, you know, okay. Um, you know, and, and tennis parents are sophisticated. They open the you know, news and world report and they can see, you know, that Baylor's ranked 71 or, or whatever it happens to be that year. And that's not tier one. Um, so that's that's tough. Waco, Texas. Uh, I love Waco, um, but it's not L.A. You know, it's not Miami. It's it's uh, it's it's not for everybody. Um, and so that's that's also a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things. And then I guess the other piece is it's super competitive. I mean, everybody's good. You know, I mean, people that uh, that are in those sexy places that, uh, you know, do have a lot of tradition. They're trying hard, too. You know, and it, it's uh, I can't tell you how many kids I lost you know, to, uh, you know, USC, UCLA, Georgia, Florida, Duke, uh, that I thought I had, you know, that I felt like I worked maybe significantly harder than the coach at that school and, uh, and, and didn't get them. Um, and you know, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to swallow over the period of many, many years. And, you know, uh, a guy named Bernard Rappaport, who was one of the richest men or maybe the richest man in Texas told me one time he started an insurance company. He said, you know, when you're a guppy, don't hunt where the sharks hunt. And, you know, he started an insurance company and failed. And then he thought, you know, I can, there's a niche here in the labor market where the big companies aren't, aren't servicing this market. And he was incredibly successful. And so what that taught me is, you know, when, when I'm recruiting and I find out a kid's looking at some of these schools I just mentioned, and those schools are seriously considering them, I really am smart to move on in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, you know, because you're just, you know, you're wasting a lot of time and energy to lose. Um, so we we had to you know work a little harder and dig a little deeper and I think a lot of the guys that are were the best players here weren't recruited by other schools you know Benedict Dorsch Benjamin Becker uh, no one else recruited them they didn't have one other coach you know calling them um, so we were able to find guys that no one else found. 
That's so interesting because, of course, well, Benjamin Becker, we all know now from his pro career, uh, you know, when you hear that name, it's kind of surprising that no one was coming after him. And I didn't ever get to see him as a junior, so I'm not sure how good he was, but I suspect he was pretty stinking good if Baylor came after him. Well, he was okay. Um, uh, you know, he didn't have much much going on, and he was he really kind of stopped playing about six months before he came to Baylor because he he didn't like tennis. Um, he sort of lost his you know passion for the game for a variety of reasons, and and honestly, it was the team atmosphere that that kind of reignited his love of tennis and kind of got him back into the game. Um, but yeah, he was again he was a guy with you know with no ATP points that, you know, hadn't really done much in the juniors and was from a small town in Germany. And so let's so, yeah, start you know, over. going back to Benny. Yeah. Going yeah. back to Benny, I was, you know, I'm, I'm driving around Orschultz, Germany, which is a little tiny town, you know, walking into the bakery asking if anybody knows where Benjamin Becker lives and no one speaks English. And I'm basically knocking on doors trying to figure out, you know, which house is his. Um, and, and again, you know, thankfully I was the only guy willing to do that. Uh, you know, it worked out great for us. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> and for him, probably. Oh, I think he would yeah, agree. No yeah, no yeah. So if a parent is looking for a secret to college recruiting, what's your best secret you can share now that you're no longer in a coaching role at the collegiate level? Well, I, I think be realistic. You know, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this placement business now with American College Placement. I'm talking to parents every day. And, you know, the majority of them, them are – uh, a little over ambitious, you know, uh, you know, you talk to parents whose, whose child might have a 1200 on the SAT, which is great. And they want to go to an Ivy league school, you know, or their daughter's a 8.5 UTR and they're insisting they only want to play division one. Well, you know, those things, those things aren't, aren't realistic. And, and that sets you up to be disappointed. You know, I think, you know, as I tell people, if you have a 1600 on the SAT and you're a 14 UTR as a boy, you can go any place you want. But as soon as those numbers start to come down on either side of the equation, then, you know, then your, your target schools uh, are reduced. And it doesn't mean you can't have a great experience. It's about fit. You know, it's like I, I told a dad, he said, well, my daughter's UTR is all wrong. And I said, okay, let's say that I'm a genius and I can hack the UTR website and make her into a 12. And we get her a full ride to UCLA or wherever. And everybody's thrilled. But then she goes out there and guess what? She's really a nine, you know? And right. after a couple of days of practice, she's going to be crying, saying, I can't stay here. You know, this is a terrible fit. So, it's not like we're trying to trick the system and get you into a place you don't belong. You know, invest in the process and focus on schools that are right for you academically, socially, um, you know, athletically. And, and man, there's so many great coaches out there that will invest in you and, 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 and help you really, you know, develop in every way possible over the course of your college career. And if people will be more open to that, I think that they can have a great recruiting experience. Well, and now that you are working on the other side, you just, you gave me a great segue here. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> you, you, you have a business called American College Placement and it is exactly that it's for tennis players, but you also work with athletes in other sports, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I, I've got other mentors that are experts in other sports. And, you know, again, I'm not teaching anybody how to hit a kick serve. I'm teaching them how to get recruited and, and find the right school. So, you know, it, it, these are things that translate across different levels. But again, it's just a matter of, you know, we, the thing that we try to do that's a little different is, is we're not just sending emails. We're actually meeting the family, meeting the player, um, you know, spending time with them on the court, really understanding who they are so that then when we reach out to a coach, we have, you know, we have authenticity. You know, we've seen them play. You know, we can tell the coach, look, this is what we were really dealing with. 
um, you know, and, and it's good on both sides. You know, the coaches appreciate it. The players appreciate it. And we've had incredible success uh, with our model. I mean, it's been, it's been really, it's been exceeding my expectations. I mean, both, both sides of the equation are really, really pleased with it. And we've been able to help some kids do some things that are really exciting. You know, one of the things you just said kind of jumped out at me and that's, you know, if you could go into the UTR system and hack it and, you know, give a, a player a, an inflated UTR and get them recruited, how within a day or two, it would become very apparent that they didn't belong at, at that school on that team. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how quickly a college coach can make the determination of whether or not a player will fit with them because we, well, we haven't all, but many of us have been to events and and college coaches have been there and we see them, you know, stand at a court and they may stand there for five minutes and then they move on. The player on the court sees them move on and thinks, Oh my gosh, you know, they're not interested in me at all. And the parent may feel the same way, but that's not necessarily the case, right? Well, it's not. I think, I think you know a tennis expert can watch tennis for a few minutes and get a pretty good idea of, of what they're looking at. Um, you know, it doesn't take long. And, and I think, uh, in terms of the tennis, that that's frankly that's the easy part. You know, the the challenge in the recruiting process is the limited amount of time that we get to spend, or the coaches, excuse me, get to spend interacting with with the prospects and their families, um, where you can really get to know somebody. Because you know the way the rules are, you just don't get a lot of time to really figure out you know, who's who. And then the other part, right, is that both parties are disingenuous. You know, coaches, you know, I tell the, the, the people that I'm helping in my, in my company, you know, if I put you in the room with the, you know, top 20 coaches one-on-one, you're going to walk out of the room saying, man, that guy's the greatest guy I've ever met. And that school's unbelievable. They're all very good salesmen, you know, and they're all going to, they're all going to couch what they say in a way that makes it attractive to you. Um, and conversely, the players do the same thing, you know, uh, hey, coach, I'm a, you know, I'm a really hard worker. I really want to do a great job in school. You know, they touch all the bases. They've been sort of coached. Um, and I think the more that, you know, we can bring honesty and openness, you know, to the process, you know, the better for everybody. You know, I saw, Lisa, for example, that 800 Division One men's basketball players transferred last year. I mean, think about that. That's just one gender, one level, one sport, you know, and so that it's just crazy how, you know, that's uh, people are having such a hard time matching you know, the, the prospect and the, and the program. And, and again, that's one of the things I'm really trying to do with my company is just to try to bring some transparency to the process and, and say, look, you know, this coach is going to, you know, this coach, if you don't do well, he's going to take you out for an ice cream Sunday. This coach is going to yell at you and make you run at six in the morning. Which one do you think is better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which, which one is a better fit for you? And, and of course there's everything in the middle, but those aren't conversations that are, that are often happening because everyone's trying to sell, you know, the player's selling, the coach is selling, and and at the end of the day, sometimes you don't get, you know, you don't get the right fit. Right. And I think that's, that's a very unique quality of what you're doing, Matt. And, you know, as, as the parent of a kid who transferred twice <laughs> in college, um, I will say, I mean, it's, you know, it happens more often than we discuss and people that have listened to this podcast or, you know, read Parenting Aces articles over the years, uh, are probably a little better informed than maybe the vast majority, but you know, it's not the end of the world if your kid has to transfer, but it's not easy and nobody wants to go into their college tennis years with the idea of, if it doesn't work out, I'll just transfer. I mean, that's not, that's not the mindset you want to have going in. 
Well, no question. And I think the other thing I would say is, uh, you know, it's, you want to be careful about the idea that, um, you know, sure. I'm, uh, you know, I'm the 12 guy on the team or 12 girl on the team and, and I'm going to improve and I'm going to get a spot because again, those things are tough. I mean, that, that, cause what happens, right. Is that, you know, the, the 11 and 10 and nine and eight person and seven person are all getting better too. And, you know, people look ahead and say, well, you know, we have three seniors. So next year I'm going to move up three spots in the lineup. Well, coach is going to bring three other people in. That's you know? right. So, you know, you got to get better, honestly, in a good program, you got to get better to stay at the same spot. Cause if you don't, then the people behind you are getting better and they're passing you, you know, so, right. you know, it's a, it's a heck of a challenge. And I think that's why, again, good information, honesty in the process, um, you know, transparency both ways. Uh, is really healthy for everybody because again the coach doesn't want you to transfer either uh, you don't want to transfer you know it's uh, your teammates don't want you to transfer you've invested they've invested in you um you know it, it's great if you can really you know do a great job on the front end right right so part of kind of helping with that transparency is you are offering the college tennis showcase this year for the first time. And let's talk about that and what these kids can hope to achieve by attending and what you're hoping the college coaches are going to achieve by attending. Well, I love so much about these showcases and I'll be honest, Lisa, I've never been to one. Um, you know, I, I just, I knew they were kind of cropping up and, and I, I hadn't really ever had a chance to go to one, but what I've learned is, is a couple things. One from a player trans uh, standpoint in terms of development, they're just fantastic because a lot of these players don't get to play in front of a group of people very often. You know, you go to a normal sectional tournament or whatever, there's a few people around. You go to most nationals, there's a few players around and parents. But in this case, coaches are really evaluating you. And so you're out on the court and, and they're watching you and, and in a critical way. And that puts you in a little bit of a different situation, whereas a player may be a little nervous. And, and that's really good for your development. The other thing that's so fantastic about these showcases as opposed to tournaments is that the coaches can actually talk to you during the, during the event. So, you know, you go out and you play for a little while and you come off and you can sit down at a table with a college coach and have a one-on-one face-to-face discussion. Wow. What a great opportunity that is. Right. I mean, uh, you know, that's amazing. The way it is in the tournament, as you know, you have to lose before you can talk. And, you know, you see those talks at Kalamazoo or whatever, you know, a kid loses. And then, you know, half hour later, he's over at those tables over there by the hot dog stand uh, talking to a coach and, you know, there's no worse time to try to present yourself than after right. just an emotional loss. You know? <laughs> right. You know, poor kids, you know, yeah, the logic <laughs> behind that yeah. just just escapes me. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so bad. You know, but, yeah. you know, you're the college coach and it's like, you know, I flew all the way here from wherever, Texas or whatever. And I'm, you know, the kids on side and this is my only chance to really have a conversation. So, you know, you push it, but, you know, the, the parents want to go home. They probably, you know, Kalamazoo, they've been there for 10 days and, and they're tired of being there and the kid just lost. He does the last thing he wants to do is talk to somebody. And so that's where the conversation takes place. Well, what's cool about these showcases, and this is something fascinating, Lisa, as I did research talking to the coaches that do go to them quite a bit, they all said the same thing. Don't let them play too much. And I'm so different because, you know, when I first started thinking, about them, I'm like, we're going to just go play and play and play. We're going to get, you know, we're going to get eight hours of tennis in, you know, we're just going to play all day long and, and make it worthwhile for everybody, right? Right. And the coaches were just the opposite. They're like, get them, get them on the court a little bit so we can see them, and then get them off the court so we can talk to them because that's way more valuable to them. And it kind of goes back to what I just said. They can evaluate them pretty quickly. You know, you, you don't need that long watching somebody play to get an idea if they're the proper level for your program. But the chance to sit down and, and, and have a face-to-face discussion, that's, that's worth its weight in gold. And so that's great for both parties, again, because 
the coach gets a great feel for the young person. The young person gets an opportunity to have this kind of a critical conversation. And, you know, of course, the first time you're super nervous, and then the second time you're less nervous, and by the time you do it, you know, a number of times, and it's kind of old hat. And a lot of the questions are the same, you know, and you get used to what they're going to ask. And I think even if you're talking to schools that maybe you're not interested in, just going through the process of communicating with an adult, a coach, uh, really is valuable for, for the young player. And, and I'm, I'm just really thrilled that we're going to have a chance to do it at SMU. I think that's fantastic. All right, so let's talk details. First of all, the dates and the location. You mentioned SMU. Uh, so yep. it's so the showcase is going to be in Dallas, the Dallas area, out on the SMU campus, which I'm so excited about. So talk a little bit about, well, let's say the dates, too. It's um, June 22nd and 23rd? June right. And we did, it again, another thing I learned in talking to a lot of people was a lot of the showcases go over two days. Um, so maybe, for example, they'd, you know, they'd bring the, the boys in on the 22nd, they'd play that day, and then they'd come back you know, and play the morning of the 23rd, and then the girls would play in the afternoon of the 23rd, and then on the 24th. Well, the feedback I got was that it, it just essentially it puts the parents in the hotel for another night. You know, if they can come in and reduce their costs and not have to stay that extra day, then, then that's something that people were really excited about. So what we decided to do is to separate the two days. So the, the Saturday is, a, is boys, and the, and the Sunday is girls. So the, the Saturday is the 22nd of June, the Sunday is the 23rd of June, so the boys will come in and start early in the morning and go go all day, and then the girls come in the next day and, and they go all day. And what is the day going to look like? What's the structure? Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it's very similar to what you've seen. We're gonna you know get everybody signed up. We're gonna give them a name, uh, Bibs, so everybody can identify them easily. They're gonna go out and play uh, players of of uh, their UTR level. Um, they're gonna play sets to five, uh, no ad with their sets to six. Excuse me, but tiebreaker of five five. Um, and we're going to have 72 kids on 18 courts. Uh, so it's a really easy rotation. So we'll start with doubles, which means that everybody's going to go on the court, you know, right at the beginning of the day. So I really like that because it gets everybody sort of into the flow of the tennis, uh, before they start playing singles. Um, and then you don't have, you know, to do a lot of extra warm up time once you go to the, the second rotation singles. So half the kids will play singles after the doubles and then they'll come off. The other half will play. You know, and we'll rotate, you know, like that. We'll have a panel that, that I'm hoping you'll be on uh, to talk to, you know, the prospects and the parents about, you know, what the expectations can be for recruiting. We'll have a lot of the top college coaches on the panel. Uh, they'll, again, be at their service. You know, I think it's an incredible opportunity for, for the players and the parents to, to ask the questions, you know, that they want to ask. And I'll, I'll be a, a moderator to kind of move it forward because oftentimes, you know, people will have a question that maybe they're nervous to ask, but, you know, I'll uh, make sure that we're getting some of the important stuff on the table and I'll come on you to kind of help me do the same with your experience. But yeah, we want to make sure everybody gets uh, as much information as they can and gets as much out of it. What's really cool about SMU is, you know, they've got 12 outdoor, six indoor, and they've got all this fantastic seating indoors, the lounge and, you know, the seats in the stadium. So in Texas, it's often, you know, hundred degrees in the summertime. So people are going to be able to go inside and have these conversations with the college coaches in the air conditioning. Um, so it's going to really create, I think, a really super environment for everybody that we're not going to have to go out and just be punished, uh, you know, in the hot summer sun. That sounds like the best part to me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent many summers in that sun. It is brutal. It's brutal. And I, I'll tell you, I, I can't say enough about what a great job SMU did with their facility. Um, just a really 
a spectacular, spectacular facility. Um, so I, I'm really glad that we're going to have a chance to showcase that for the kids and the, and the other coaches. I think it's going to be really special for, for everybody to play you know, in such a wonderful place. So share with us, Matt, uh, which coaches, and you don't have to give specific schools, but I mean, or is it just division one? How is, how is that working? Yeah. You know, the, the idea, great question is to have a real variety of, you know, power five D one schools, uh, mid-major D one schools, um, kind of high academic D threes, um, you know, some other schools that maybe would fall outside of, of that group. Um, so that there's kind of something for everybody. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the approach, you know, we're not going to have, uh, I don't think it helps anybody if we have, you know, uh, 30 power five coaches there and nobody else, <laughs> right. you know, and, and I don't think it helps anybody if we have, you know, 30 D three schools and nobody else. I think it's, it's important to have a variety and, uh, I think it'll give the kids a chance to, you know, to really be energized to see some of the, you know, some of the uniforms of the schools that are around and, and again, just create a really cool environment for everybody. Who should come to this player wise? Well, I think anybody that wants to play college tennis, I, I just don't think there's any downside. Um, you know, I don't, I don't care if you're the number one player in the country or if you're the uh, number one player in your high school team and you're, uh, you know, you're just kind of getting into the game a little bit more, but I think it's a, uh, it's just a great chance to, to play uh, in front of people uh, in a great environment, um, in a beautiful facility. I just don't think there's a downside for anybody. Um, and again, I think if you want to play, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you got to get on the board, you know, so, you know, every college coach has a list of, you know, of girls that are in the class of 2021 that are on their, you know, their whiteboard in their office that they're watching. And you can't watch every, everybody that's playing. So you've, you've got a list of 10, 15, 20, 25 people that you're watching. And as a young player, you want to get on that board. You know, if you want to go to that school, that coach needs to be aware of who you are. Um, and then our objective with American College Placement is if you're a, if you're a female and you're a, 1100 SAT and you're a you know 8.5 UTR then we want you to be the best person with that profile in the marketplace you know so when the coach gets and this is something we touched on a little bit Lisa but as a college coach you come in your office every day and your in- inbox is full of emails from Bulgaria Argentina Australia Germany England all these places and then also obviously kids that are domestic and so you're trying to sort through all these kids that are interested in playing at your school and a lot of them are pretty good at tennis, you know, and a lot of them <laughs> yeah. are, are, are pretty good at school. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they've got good SAT scores and they've, they've done a good job with their tennis. So it's incredibly competitive. I, I think there's, it's clear that there's no more competitive sport than men's college tennis. And, and I think the second most competitive might be women's college tennis um, because they're just all these kids internationally that are competing for those spots that are, that are suitable, you know, that, that can, they can fill those spots. So we, have a huge advantage though, that we know when, when we're a sophomore in high school, we know this already. That kid that's in Australia doesn't know that, you know, that mm-hmm. kid in Australia that's a sophomore in high school hasn't even thought about coming to the States to play, right? It's not even on the radar screen. So we've got the advantage and, and that's where we need to utilize our advantage and get on the board with these coaches, you know, be, be proactive, hire somebody like Matt Canole or somebody else to get in there and advocate for you so that you can get ahead of all those other kids you're competing against. And again, we can't turn you into somebody that you're not, but whoever you are, let's make you the best possible option for that coach. And again, coaches are people that they're, they're going to, they're going to go with, with what's easiest, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if I can take a kid from Waco, that's a, that's a 13.5 UTR over a kid that's from, you know, Buenos Aires, I'm obviously going to take the kid from Waco. Right. And so right. we want to make it as simple on the coach as possible by, 
again, putting, presenting ourselves in the right way, creating the right relationship so that we can be the one to get that spot rather than having it go to somebody else. Gotcha. So the showcase itself, is it just open to high school players or can any age kid come? Yeah, it's just a prospect age kid. So, so high school age players. Okay. So can you be entering ninth grade in the fall or do you have to have already come? Okay. So it's, so it's kids that are currently in eighth grade through kids that are currently in 11th grade. Right. Okay. And I think clearly for kids that are, you know, uh, you know, juniors and seniors, if you know, if you haven't really got a plan in place and some momentum going, man, you got to go, <laughs> you know, it's time to get going. I mean, you got to go to the things like this showcase to, to get some momentum and get some, some action happening. And people tell me, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm a senior to be recruited or whatever. Well, isn't it, you probably know this, I'm sure you know this, Lisa, but you know, the NCAA just made a rule where you can make official visits at the beginning of your junior year of high school. So, you know, the opportunities are being taken off the board even earlier than they've ever been before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if, if you're not ready to look seriously at schools in your junior year, the beginning of your junior year, let's just be honest, you're behind, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're not, you're not where you need to be. So as a sophomore, you need to have a, you need to start getting a good plan together and making good contacts um, so that you can have a, again, an opportunity to go to every school that's out there. Cause as you know, once the scholarship's gone, it's gone. It doesn't matter. If Serena Williams walks in the door. If you don't have a scholarship left, then you can't give her one. You know, it's, that scholarship's gone. So yep. you got to do a great job of, of being the first one there. Um, and the other part, right, in, in men's sense, particularly, a lot of schools have very limited roster slots. You know, the, the athletic director comes in and says, look, you, you can only have 10 guys on the team. You know, and again, it doesn't matter if Roger Federer comes in, you can't take him because you can only take 10 people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's the competition for slots is even very competitive. Right, right. And I mean, you know, the parenting aces audience is, is pretty knowledgeable about the fact that on the men's side, there are only four and a half scholarships while there are eight on the women's side. And, you know, like you said, once that, that scholarship's gone, it's gone. And, uh, you know, yes, there may be a, an opportunity to be a walk on and get no scholarship money, but, Let's face it, I mean, after what we go through in the junior development process to get our kids to the point where they are eligible to play in college, it sure is nice to have that scholarship coming in the next year or two. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah, just amazing. I'm, you know, I've got twin sons that are sophomores and you know, I know it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just overwhelming looking at the cost of, of a college education for young people. Oh, it's um, craziness and it's only getting worse. Yeah. The other thing I will say, I think it's important. I didn't know, and I'm, I've learned that there's way more aid out there uh, in the Division Three level than I realized. Yes. Um, you know, and, and you know, people say they don't give athletic aid, and that's sure enough. But they give they give significant scholarships at that level. Um, particularly if you're a good student, um, you can really create a lot of opportunity for yourself um, at the Division Three level. And so I think that. And as you know, I don't have to tell you this, but some of you know, the best Division three teams are really good. Yeah, um, you know that, that level of competition, you know, is pretty tough. And and it's funny, I tell you know clients, hey, I think you look at D three, and they look at me like I'm I'm asking them to jump off of a cliff. But you know the you know the best teams at that level are, are really good, and the coaches are very strong. So you know, there's a lot of great options. Division two as well, you know, and even NAI, you know, NAI is a great place to go if you're in a situation where you need financial aid, you know, they give scholarships for tennis and NAIA. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people overlook. 
Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you brought that up, Matt, because my listeners know I have been pushing Division Three pretty hard for the last couple of years. I, I'm a big fan. I think, you know, especially for kids that are not planning to go the professional route, but even some who are, Division Three can offer such a great balance between academics and tennis. And like you said, there are so many scholarships. And oftentimes on the men's side, there may be more scholarship money available at D3 than in a D1 school. I, that's an argument you have, absolutely can make that argument. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I think if you'll, if you'll be organized and disciplined and, and do a great job with, you know, with your academics, there are tons of opportunities out there at that level. Yes, absolutely. All right. So I, I, we talked about the specifics. Um, what is the cost? Let me just throw that in. Yeah, the cost is three ninety five. Um, unless you're an American College Placement uh, client, then the cost is one ninety five. So it's a great deal. We know there are other showcases out there. USTA runs an American-only showcase now down at Lake Nona, and, and we've had others on this podcast. Um, so the opportunities are out there. And, you know, to for my listeners, to go to a showcase that is being run by the former coach of Baylor <laughs> – it's, I mean, Matt, you know what these coaches are looking for. You've been there for, you know, so many years. And I think that's just a really unique opportunity for my listeners. You know, if you're looking for a showcase this summer for your child, this is a great one to choose. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I do think that we offer something that, that you know, no one else is able to offer because um, I, I do have relationship, you know, my best friends in the world are college coaches. You know, my, uh, you know, my, the guys I talk to every day are, are college coaches and you know, I've got their numbers in my cell phones and, and the ones I don't know, you know, I, I, I know somebody that they know well, you know, it's a, it's a small community. And so I think I can really advocate for the players in a very unique way. Um, and, and I love doing it. You know, the, the thing about it for me is I'm really thrilled about, you know, seeing kids go to school, seeing them go there and make the lineup and make all conference and play in the nationals and get a degree and get a job. And I'm really looking forward to the day and, you know, five or 10 years when we can have a whole, you know, history of, of clients that have gone on and done great things, you know, because to me, that's what the personalized service is all about is you get to know them and, and follow them and stay in touch with them. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm most happy about is just being able to really help. Sure, sure. Is there any reason why a player should come to a showcase more than once? So, for example, if I'm the parent of a current eighth grader, if I bring my child this summer, should they come back next year and the year after? Or what? Well, what's your recommendation? I, I, think it's, I think it's sort of like, you know, as many opportunities as you can get. You know, I, th I think uh, there's no reason not to go to, to, to several of them. I, I think, again, it's uh, you're, you're playing tennis against people that you haven't played against. It's competitive. It's different. Uh, it's going to help you develop. Uh, you know, so it's not only the tennis, the, the scholarship part, the talking to coaches part, but it's also, you know, just being able to be in a competitive environment. Um, and I think, again, kids kids change. You know, that's one of the things, you know, as, a, as an eighth grader to a junior, you know, some people are, you know, make a lot of changes. You know, they improve dramatically or or their, their academics become more of a, a priority to them. And, you know, they can be in a whole different level, um, you know, over the course of that time, um, you know, even, even from, you know, certainly from summer to summer, you know, that happens, um, particularly for young people. So 
I don't think there's any reason to limit yourself to anything that you can do to, to develop and, and have a neat experience. I think you take it if, if possible. And, um, you know, somebody said, well, you know, again, there's showcases you know, wherever all over the place. Well, yeah. And, and the more we have, the better. You know, I, I mean, I hope there's, I hope there's way more next year than there are this year, you know, and I think it's like having tournaments, you know, the more tournaments, the better. I mean, if there's, if there's 25 tournaments in Dallas this weekend for juniors, I mean, isn't that great? You know, it just creates more opportunity for everybody. So anytime tennis is growing and things are, there's more opportunity for kids. I'm, and I'm all for it. Sure. So your showcase is being held at SMU. And when you and I talked offline, you shared with me that SMU men's coach Grant Chen is going to be helping out with the showcase. Um, you want to give a shout out to Grant and talk about what his involvement's going to be? Well, you know, the, the thing about, you know, doing these on a college campus is that the college coach per NCAA rules can't really be involved. Um, you know, Grant's a, a great partner of, of junior tennis and a great friend of mine. I've known him for a long, long time. So, you know, he's obviously going to be, you know, be there um, watching kids and being a part of what's going on. But the NCAA won't let him officially be part of what we're doing. But I think that, you know, what we see is that, you know, here's another young coach with a lot of enthusiasm who's excited about, you know, uh, making his facility available to, to programs like mine uh, to generate enthusiasm in, in the Dallas community. And, and you got, man, man, the more of that we get, the better, right? I mean, that's just, uh, you know, Grant's a super guy that's a, you know, he's a collaborator. He's somebody that brings people together. And it's just another example of that. Yeah. Well, what last words do you want to leave the parenting aces audience with Matt? <laughs> well, I, I think one, you know, as a parent, we all want our kids to just be passionate about something, you know, whether that's, you know, playing the trombone or, or computers or, or tennis, you know, it's just such a, a thrill as a parent to have our child be passionate. And, and, you know, everybody listening to this show is obviously their kids are passionate about tennis and what a gift that is, you know, that, that they've got something they really believe in. And I think that college tennis can be a huge part of that. And, and I really encourage, you know, both the, the, the players and the parents look seriously about really pursuing college tennis. I think that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of parents where, you know, I'll just go to, you know, University of Oklahoma and be a fraternity guy, or I'll go to, you know, University of Texas and join a sorority and I don't really want to play college tennis. Well, man, I think that's a huge mistake. I think when you've invested as much as we all, you know, everybody has in their junior tennis, you're passionate about something, man, to go to a, a school where you can play. And, and I think nothing expands your heart more than an inspirational coach and to have a chance to, play for an inspirational coach and, and be around your teammates and pursue, you know, whatever your goals are, uh, I think really changes your life. And, and I can't tell you, I, I'll close with this. I, over and over and over again, I talk to people who say that when they're hiring, the most important thing they look at is people that played college sports. Um, it will absolutely get you a job. Um, it absolutely separates you. I think it separates you more uh, than being in an elite college, you know? So I think, uh, you know, go play, it's going to make a difference in your, in your opportunities beyond school. And it's also going to really impact your heart and your growth while you're in school. Is there any kid that has a UTR too low to consider coming to the showcase? Yeah. You know, I think, I think, uh, you know, a five is probably about the minimum. Um, and I, and I say that to my clients, if you're not at least a five UTR, then, you know, I need you to, to, to work on your game and get a little bit better. Boys, um, girls, both. Uh, it's a number I use for both. I mean, I've had success. I, I, I mean, I, we have five girl, female, five UTRs are are getting opportunities. I mean, they're they're on college teams, and so I've been able to successfully place girls at that level. 
Um, uh, the boys that I have that are fives are usually sophomores, you know, a little bit younger, um, and certainly will become, you know, sevens or seven fives by the time they go to college. So I think that's probably a, a great place to sort of start as a beginning point. Perfect. Well, Matt Canole, thank you so much for doing this podcast and sharing what you're up to. We miss seeing you at Baylor, but wish you all the success with your new venture with American College Placement and the College Tennis Showcase. And to my listeners, if you are considering coming, I I hope you'll click on the link in the show notes and and sign your child up. And and I hope to see you at the SMU campus in June. I think it's going to be a really fun event and I'm looking forward to being there and meeting Matt in person and seeing my buddy Grant Chen and uh, seeing the rest of you guys out there watching your kids play. So Matt, thank you. And just all the success. Well, at least I can't let you off the, off the call until I tell you, thank you. I mean, you're doing this, you know, as a volunteer and what you've done with your website and the service you're providing everybody. I mean, man, what a, what a labor of love and, and what a, what a wonderful thing you've done. And, and I just thank you from, you know, everybody in tennis, um, that you've been able to, you know, start from the beginning and make yourself, you know, such a huge part of what's going on with American junior tennis and, and everybody really appreciates it. I hope you, I hope you know how much uh, we all really appreciate all the work you're doing. You can't see me blushing right now, but I am blushing really hard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you worked hard and it's much appreciated. Well, I appreciate that. That's really sweet, Matt. Thank you again for coming on. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.